Thank you. Uh, so do we have any other golfers here? Do we have any other golfers here? I'm impressed you're here. They, um, it's, first of all, I want to say this. It is great to be here. And uh, I get to say a couple things that your pastor probably can't say. And the first one is this. I love your church for two reasons. Number one is, I don't know if you're aware of this. In my opinion, you have one of the best pastor leaders on the entire West Coast. And um, you, have a pastor, you, you have a pastor that means what he says in the pulpit and lives what he says when he's outside that pulpit, loves God, loves you, has an incredible amount of vision. And I'm the, the other reason I love this place is this, 87% of Protestant churches in this country are stagnant or declining, 87%. And you are in rare air. And for example, I, I, I saw this this morning. Has anybody seen this? This is spectacular. And I love any church that has vision because I think the last thing America needs right now at this time in history is churches who are discouraged and have no future vision. Would you agree? And so this, these, I just think you've got some amazing days ahead. And I want to say this. If you've been in this church more than five years, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. Some of you are sitting there going, here we go again. And I want to say you will be the people they tell the stories about 50 years from now. So way to go. I think God's got some very exciting days ahead. And that concludes the introduction Ty wrote for me. Now, if you would, I'm kidding. If you would reach into your programs and grab out this message outline. Go ahead and grab this message outline. I want to begin with a verse. And you all ready for this? Here we go. Jesus said this, and this is kind of a church test. You all ready? I am the resurrection and the? I'm the resurrection and the? Life. Very good. Now, most Christians have never figured out how to take the resurrection and put it into my life. How does the resurrection change my life? In other words, in the Gospels, the Gospels make one point. You're in a series, Jesus is. The Gospels make one point. And here's the point. Jesus is alive. The book of Acts makes this point. He's now alive in his people. He's now alive in his church. And the book of Acts unlocks the key with how to live the Christian life. And what's interesting is this, when you actually become a person fueled by the resurrection, what happens is this, you end up living a life you could never live and living through a church that it could never experience any other way. For example, uh, you'll notice in your notes it says the early church, what they didn't have and what they did have. You know, it's a, I made a list. The early church exploded in the book of Acts and changed the world. Let me tell you what they did not have. They did not have financial backing. They did not have great buildings. They did not have organizational structures. They did not have denominations. By the way, they did not have a stable economy. And neither do we. They did not have competent government. Neither do we. They did not have a supportive media. Neither do we. You know what they did have, though? They, against all odds, they had impact. Here, 120 people. Folks, 120 people is like this section. 120 people in the book of Acts take the gospel of Jesus Christ and it explodes 
to almost every country, nine islands, 27 countries, 54 cities, all the way to the capital of the in Rome. And I'm here, basically, I'm here, the task of preachers is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so I'm here to do the second today. I want to ask and answer one question. And here's the question, okay? What fueled the early Christians and can we get it back? What transformed the early Christians? Can we get it back? In my opinion, 95% of Christians could tell you Jesus is alive. They've never figured out how to put that into play in their life in some amazing, miraculous ways. And so what I want to do is this. I want to give you the four things the early church got right, four things early Christians got right, that if we get right, we will see a future we could never have any other way. You all ready for this, by the way? Good. I'm going to be checking with you occasionally because I'm going to dump a lot of content on you. I'm going to be checking in occasionally to make sure you're still awake. Okay. And so occasionally I'm going to say, are you still with me? And you will say, yes. Even if you're not wake back up and say, yes. So y'all re- are you still with me? Okay, good. Here we go. Now they believed four things. Number one, they first believed in the reality of the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. They believe that. Acts starts with this phrase. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. He was what? He was alive. The disciples were crystal clear on what happened to Jesus. Crystal clear that he was crucified. Crystal clear that he was buried. And crystal clear that three days later, he is back walking the streets. And that is the foundation for our faith and our future. And because of the resurrection, that means no matter how tough your life is here, you're going to love your next, I don't know, billion years. Okay? They were absolutely buoyant and confident because they were convinced in the reality of the resurrection. That's the first thing they believed. Now, the second thing they believed is this. As a result of that, on the resurrection life, here it is. They believed spiritual power was essential. Living in the presence of God, on the promises of God, with the power of God was absolutely essential. It was normal, not abnormal. Notice this in the book of Acts. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but what's the next word? Wait for the gift my father promised. Now, why did he tell them that? Because of Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. What he's saying is this. He is saying the resurrection has got to be put into play in my life with the power, promises, and presence of God. That's what he's saying. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can put it in this. Here's a question. Are your spiritual batteries recharged or not? Because would you agree, nobody goes forward well. Nobody runs well running on empty. Anybody here have an iPhone or something like that? What happens if you don't charge it? Yeah, it goes dead. And I... I heard a great story uh, from a lady in our area. Does anybody here have you raised kids? Anybody here raised kids? Okay. Anybody here? You were a kid. Very good. And is anybody here? You raised a kid that was loud, rambunctious, and occasionally embarrassing in public. Any of you marry somebody like that? No, no, put your hands up. This lady in our area said, um, said my son, who never did anything quietly, we're in a fancy restaurant, and he's six, 
and he's at the head of the table, and he blurts out, hey, can I say grace? And before I could say no, he folded his hands, closed his little eyes, and yelled for the entire restaurant, God is good. God is great. Lord, I thank you for the food, and I, now the entire restaurant by this time is listening, I will thank you even more when mom gets me ice cream for dessert. And liberty and justice for all, amen. So along with laughter from the other customers nearby, she's heard, I heard an older woman remark, and the whole restaurant heard it, kids today asking God for ice cream, why I never. That's a disgrace. My son heard this and burst into tears. And with tears streaming down his face, said, Mom, is God mad at me? Have I done it wrong? And as I held him and glared at the woman, and assured him that he had certainly, God was certainly not mad at him, an older gentleman got up and walked over to our table, leaned down on our table, pointed at my son and said, young man, I happen to know God. And I happen to know that God thought that was an absolutely terrific prayer. And the kid dried his eyes and said, really? And he goes, he nodded to the lady and he said, yeah, too bad that old bat doesn't ask God for ice cream. <laughs> and then he looked again and said, you know, little ice cream can be good for your soul sometimes. Well, this lady said, naturally, at the end of that dinner, I bought my son the biggest dish of ice cream they would bring him. They set it down in front of him. His eyes got really big like saucers. And then without a word, he picked it up. He walked over to the lady. He set it down in front of her and said, here, lady, ice cream's good for the soul sometimes. This is for you because my soul's good already. It's an awesome story. The, um, when I heard that, I thought that's exactly it. In my opinion, okay, the single most important thing about you and your marriage and your future is this. Are your spiritual batteries recharged? Is your soul in good shape? I'm so concerned that our media bombardment destroys souls. Would you agree, by the way? A lot of that stuff coming down. We invented a thing three years ago, and it has gone nationwide with tens of thousands of people. We invented a free five-minute devotional every morning. All you have to do, it's free. All you have to do, see that? It's in your notes. Text, oh, maybe it's not. All you have to do is this. Text the word REFUEL. You get out your phone now if you want. Only time in church, then put it away. Um, text the word REFUEL to John 316, JN316. We own that website. Text the word REFUEL to 56316 every single morning. At 7 in the morning, or 7.01 in the morning, you will get a text from us. Click on it. It's a verse of the day, and it is a five-minute devotional. A lot of our guys listen to it on the way to work. It's a five-minute devotional from myself, Francis Chan, John Maxwell, or somebody else that we're connected to. And, um, and why is that important? Because I believe this. Your future is determined by your spiritual batteries being recharged because Jesus said, wait, you're going to need to be running on power and no iPhone, no anything runs anywhere when it's dead. Are your spiritual batteries recharged or not? Does that make sense? Okay. This is a major deal because look at this. I want you to look at your list for a second. Number one, they believed in the reality of the resurrection. Almost all Christians do. Very few Christians though, go to stage two, which is now I'm going to recharge my spiritual batteries, which changes everything. Because if I don't take step two, step one doesn't come alive in my life. That makes sense? Doesn't stop there. 
The third thing they believed in this, they believed in living to make great things happen. They believed in living to make great things happen. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth, which is amazing because they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay? And was, they actually believed in taking God-honoring risks to make some major things happen. Now, there has been something that's been bothering me for about a year. I just wrote, I just wrote a book on Jesus. It'll be released uh, in about a year. Uh, it's called Jesus Called. He Wants His Church Back. And, uh, the, and I, when I was studying for that, I started thinking, there's a new idol in America. There's a brand new idol in America. And and it's not sex, it's not drugs, it's not hedonism, it's not materialism. Uh, by the way, those are still around. There's a new idol in America. And I think this idol is wrecking Christians' faith in the impact of churches. And you know what the idol is? I think there's a new idol, and here it is. The idol of safety. The idol of safety. I mean, people, would you agree, we are raising a generation first deal. The, Jesus saying, get out of the boat, that's not even an option for day, today's couch potato Christians. And matter of fact, we're raising a new generation of kids that will probably never even go outdoors until they're 18 years old. Anybody realize this? So I made a list, see if you agree. We are now the most seat-belted, airbagged, peanut-avoiding, gluten-free, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated generation in history. (laughs) Would you agree? And all it's done is make everybody more afraid of everything. Now, I'm not advocating take stupid risks for the sake of taking stupid risks. What I'm saying is this. You can play it safe your entire life. You can never serve. You can never give. You can tip instead of tithe. You can never take a risk. You can live in a gated community. You can buckle your seatbelt. You can smear sunscreen. You can still die in some stupid freak accident. Would you agree? So I Googled freak accidents in history. Want to hear a couple? Unbelievable. In London, at the turn of the century... A giant vat of beer exploded, and a 25-foot wall of beer spilled into the street, and eight people drowned in beer. Some of you are going, well, if i got to go, in 1910, in Boston, Massachusetts, a giant vat of molasses exploded, and molasses oozed into the street, killing 21 people. Apparently, 21 very slow people. Um, You know, oh, molasses, walk for your lives. I mean, you can see this stuff. And here's the problem. um, In my opinion, most Christians stop giving. Why? It might not be safe. Most Christians, the vast majority of Christians, never tithe. Why? It might not be safe. Most Christians never serve, never share their faith, never take a risk, never take a stand, because it might not be safe. And, the, and you know, I made another list. You know what the problem is? Playing it safe shrinks our lives, shrinks our faith, shrinks our impact, shrinks God, and leaves you and I with a shrunken up, shriveled 
heart and then we die and wonder for the next 50 million years why God gave us one life here and we never actually went for it. This stuff is major. I had just prepared this, this call to give your life away and do something. Jesus made statements like this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. I can't find any verse where he says, come, follow me, stay in the boat. I mean, I literally can't follow that. The problem is this. I am a recovering fearaholic. I mean, I like playing it safe. It's my preferred way to live. I lock my car, lock my house, buckle my seatbelt, put sunscreen. I do all that stuff. And the problem is this, I lead a church. Uh, we started a church uh, 20 years ago called Bayside. We almost, it's a church for people that don't like church. Um, and we almost named it Baywatch. Went with Bayside, that was probably a good thing. And I have never seen anything like the explosion that happened after we launched this. And so what happened is we have multiple campuses now. We have a campus um, in uh, Granite Bay. We have a campus, uh, North Campus. We have a Midtown Campus that is the fastest growing multicultural church on the West Coast. And uh, a couple years ago, I was talking to our Midtown pastor, and he said to me, I don't think you get it. He goes, the schools in my part of town don't look like the nice schools you got out in the suburbs. And I drove around and looked at this and went, we have got to do something about this. So we gathered our senior staff and said, what are we going to do? And they said, why don't we shut all of our churches down for a weekend, rent Arco Arena, where the Sacramento Kings play, which is expensive, and let's go to Arco on Easter and raise money for inner city schools. And let's rebuild schools because the government's not going to do it because they're the geniuses that let it happen. And I probably shouldn't talk like that here. Um, and so we, And so what happened is, I was like, no, 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 no. Easter Sunday, nobody wants to go to, they want to go to their own, our own churches. Uh, a renting ark is too expensive. Nobody's going to come. It's 30 miles away from some of us. I just went, no, it's just not safe. And what happens is we end up, they end up going, come on. So we pray about it. And God goes, take a risk. The, so we rent Arco. I'm convinced it is going to be a disaster. Is anybody wired like me? Okay, I'm convinced nobody's coming. We're going to lose money. This is just going to be a disaster. Carol and I, my wife and I, we're actually driving down on Easter Sunday morning. She goes, what do you think is going to happen? I said, I think like eight people are going to come, and we'll just take them out to breakfast, and I can, you know, take an offering around the table. And, um, and well, Mr. No Faith here, Mr. Risk Averse guy, I walk in, and here's, I'm going to show you a, the, what the news clip said about this event. Check this out.
Is that unbelievable? People in the second offering that day gave $340,000. We have re- fully rehabbed six inner city schools downtown. Uh, matter of fact, one of the hard, hard-bitten, inner city, cynical school principals showed up at Arco going, who are these nutcases that are going to redo my school? And was so blown away, he met Jesus Christ in that service. But if it was so cool, we ended the service like this. We just said, I just got on stage and I said, shut off the lights. Okay, and you see all those blue lights we gave everybody? Everybody had one. And I, I said, I want to end with some questions. Question number one is this. If you um, are here for the first time, turn on your lights. If you, second question, this is kind of fun. Then I had some fun. I said, if you met somebody and got married at Bayside, turn, pairs of lights all over the place. I said, if you want to meet somebody and get married, I mean, pairs of lights, you know. It's the, and, then, um, and then I said, if you met Jesus Christ this morning here at Arco Arena on Easter and received him as your Savior and Lord, committed yourself to follow, follow him all early, turn on your light right now. And people, it, I started crying. It lit up Arco Arena. And the, one of the lights that came on was the inner city principal who met Christ at Arco, has been in our church and in a men's Bible study ever since. And I am here to tell you that the whole thing was a flat-out miracle. It has changed life for kids in our community. We are not known as the church in the suburbs. We are now known as the church that cares about all the kids in the community. And the whole thing, all that incredible stuff almost didn't happen for one reason. Me. Because I am wired to play it safe. I'm wired to play it safe. I believe this. The adventure of your life starts the second you stop playing it safe. Because here's the deal. What are you waiting for? I mean, I'm looking around here, okay? I mean, a lot of you are my age or maybe even somebody's older than me here. Okay? Matter of fact, if you're older than 40, raise your hand. Okay? Well, well, raise your hand, look around. This is a good thing, okay? If, when are you going to pull the trigger and start living, start sharing, start tithing, start going for it? When are you going to pull the trigger and stop playing it safe and start going for it? I am convinced Satan is not mine. If you have gifts and resources and talents, he just wants to make sure you just never use them. You stay in the boat your entire life. Okay? I got, I got to keep going because some of you are sitting here and you're going, wait a second, but, but you don't get it. I'm not that talented. I'm like ordinary. I'm not a speaker like you or I'm not a leader like Ty or, a, you know, I'm not. You have a long, anybody here got a longer list of what you're not than what you are? Glad, glad. You, here you go. That's point four. And here it is. They believed God uses everyone. They believe God uses ordinary people. God uses everyone. And the, notice this incredible verse. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Check this out. Okay. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were, what's the next word? Unschooled. And what's the next word after that? Ordinary. They were, oh, God used ordinary people to change the world. Which means he can use you. So, some of you are still sitting there going, well, I don't know, not me. I don't think I matter that much. I just read a fascinating article. Um, John, Johnny Ive, who is the um, chief design officer at, anybody know? Apple, okay? 
Anybody here got an iPhone, iPad, iMac, any of that stuff? Anybody here got a laptop, any of that stuff? He designed it all. And they asked him a question. They said, when you design something, what do you do? And he said, because he, he probably the most, arguably the most talented and most famous design guy of our generation, maybe the last hundred years. And he said, oh, he said, I don't design anything until I first figure out what its purpose is. He goes, I asked this question, what do I want that to make happen? What do I want it to do? Then I shape it and craft it and design it so that it does what its purpose is. Is that brilliant? That's how God views you. You're not here by accident. There's God millions of years ago said, at this time in history, I'm going to need that to happen on that block or that to happen on whatever it is. And you're not just some random deal. God went, I'm going to create you and I'm going to put you in the right geography, in the right generation, just specifically to make happen what only you were created to make happen. Isn't that spectacular? That's you. In other words, you're not an accident. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not an accident. Might have been to your parents, but you are not an accident to God. And, And what that means is, what that means is God can use everyone. Now, before I close, I want you to look at those four things. I just want to ask you point blank. These are four major beliefs. Do you believe all four of these? Because they did. Oh, and are you taking all four of these steps? Number one, do you believe in the reality of the resurrection? If so, that changes everything. But uh, standing alone, that doesn't change a thing. Do you believe spiritual power is essential, which means I have got to get the word of God into my life. I've got to recharge my batteries. Third, do you believe in living to make great things happen. People, we have some people that live in my area. We have some people that live in my, Granite Bay is like Beverly Hills, Sacramento, okay? We have people that live in my area that if they ever got as excited about what they could make happen as what they were buying next, the world would be a different place. They lived to make great things happen, and that always takes risk. And last is this. They lived believing God uses everyone, and God uses ordinary people, even you. And if you don't believe this, I, years ago, saw God use a group of people that I never thought could happen. I was a senior pastor in Southern California in a racially mixed community, and I ended up resigning being a senior pastor, and I took a job in Northern California in a church that, um, well, it was, I took a job as a youth pastor in a church in Marin County, California. Anybody know where Marin County is? Okay. At that point, it was the wealthiest county in the United States. It was also the whitest. It was 97% Caucasian. It was so lily white, it was sickening. Well, I take a job at the church in the center of the county that has almost all of the wealthy people and their teenagers going to that church. You want to guess what those kids were like? I walk into high school, Sunday school class for the first time, I almost threw up. I realized I'm looking at the best looking, brightest, poorest driving, uh, you know, Harvard bound, apathetic church brats I'd ever seen in my life. And I went, I, I literally walked out of there and I thought, 
I'm going to get these kids into missions and service and letting God use them and living to make great things happen if it kills me. It nearly did. And I walked back in the next week and I said, hey, what do you do during Easter? And I didn't let him answer because I said, because this Easter we're going. And I gave him an hour-long manipulative pitch about going to Mexico Easter week and serving for an entire week in Mexico and working with poor kids and building homes and things like that. And I gave him this all-out, one-hour-long manipulative pitch. And at the end of that, I said, okay, <clears throat> who's going with me? You know, You know what happened? No, 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 18 straight no's. No, 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 no. I said, why? What do you do during Easter? You know what their answer was? We ski. We ski in Vail, ski in Aspen, we ski in Tahoe, we ski, except for one girl who said, oh, last Easter I flew to Paris and shopped. (laughs) And she said it like, didn't we all? And um, folks, it took six months of, of manipulating motivating, vision casting, finally outright lying. Okay. I'm going, Hey, here's cause they, kids are coming up going, Ray. Okay. You got us, man. We'd love to go, but you don't get it. This, we ski together. It's a tradition. And I'm saying stuff like bring your skis, the skiing in Mexico on Easter is unbelievable. <clears throat> well, what happens is What happens is Easter arrives and I have 38 high school students bound, gagged, and handcuffed and on their way to Mexico. Some of those students still have not recovered from that trip. We pull into town. The first thing they see are four guys laying a friend of theirs down by the side of the road. Evidently, by the way, no arms, no legs, four amputations. And I'm saying stuff like, these kids are like, what happened? And I'm saying stuff like, I don't know. Maybe he didn't have enough help or money to get help in time. And that got at him. People living in cardboard shacks got at him. People with sick kids with their ribs sticking out that couldn't afford a doctor, that got at him. But the big shocker was this. We go there, we headquarter on Saturday night, set up tents, and then Sunday morning, we're supposed to go find our church, and here's what's supposed to happen. We're going to worship together with that church, have lunch with that church, and then that church and us, we're going to team up our church, our teenagers in that church are going to literally bring the love of Christ to the entire community all week long in different ways. And, well, it's like 13 dirt roads, and we pull up, and the second we see the church, we realize something's terribly wrong because it's a burned-out shell of a church. I mean, four charred walls, the roof is burned and crashed in, and now I have 38 teenagers looking at me going, way to go, Ray. And I'm thinking the same thing until I'm looking over there and I'm going, I hear noise on the inside of the building. So I go, stay here, sneak around the back. And I look in the back window and I look in this charred window and here's what I see. Up front, there is a young, tough looking Mexican national pastor and he is preaching his heart out to nine very discouraged looking people sitting on these benches. And now I'm going, what do we do? Do we go in? Do we stay out? What's polite here in this culture? And I thought, hey, we just drove a thousand miles, man. Let's go to church. So we, I motioned the kids over. We, now, that had been a major shock for this pastor. This is the middle of nowhere, Mexico. This is like, I don't know, Fresno, Mexico. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> all of a sudden, 38 white yuppies file in the back of this guy's church. He's so shocked, he stops his sermon and says, que pasa? Which translated means, 
what are you yuppies doing here? And we had a kid who spoke uh, Spanglish. And this kid said, we're Christians. We're from the U.S. We're here to help and serve in any way we can. Well, you could tell this pastor got that. And this pastor gets real emotional. And, I'm, and, and I mean, he's glaring at our, our kids, our 38 teenagers who have never done anything like this are glaring at him. And these poor nine people in the middle don't know what to do. And he says they, and I'm really thinking, to be honest, he's going to kick us out. He did not know we were coming. He says they, we found out later there was a gang in the village, a Mexican gang. He said they burned down our church six months ago. Then he looked right at these 38 teenagers who are living to make great things happen for the first ever time, believing God could use them for the first ever time. He looked right at these 38 teenagers and said something I will never forget. He pointed at them and said, and for six months, we've been praying that God would send help and we'd given up hope, help would ever arrive. But here you are. These kids are like stunned. You know, like that, one of those things. Every youth group has its big mouth kid, okay? Are this, in this setting, this kid blurts out, not a humble kid. He blurts out, hey, we're an answer to prayer. <laughs> not a humble kid. And um, you know what's interesting is? That was, check it out. That was their theme all week long. They were walking around high five and going, hey, answer to prayer. You know what's amazing about that is? Back home, they caused prayer. Down there, they were an answer to prayer. We had these beautiful, gorgeous Marin County high school girls, some who'd never even seen dirt. And um, <laughs> they, br- they brought down truckloads of curling irons because I forgot to tell them there was no, no electricity. And two days into this thing, they have stashed, they have stashed their curling irons because they got no showers. They have thrown a bandana on over their head. All these boyfriend and girlfriend connections are occurring down there because to be honest with you, those girls were better looking without showers because there is a sparkle in the eyes of girls that when they are living to make good things happen for God that is never there when the only thing they're living for is to look good themselves. Okay, and matter of fact, and we same thing happened to high school guys. Matter of fact, we're in the building the second day, and these useless high school guys, um, they're, they're we're having a meeting, and one of them goes, "Hey, why don't they have a roof?" <laughs> Gee, I guess it burned down. He goes, "Why don't they put a new one on? Doesn't it ever rain down here?" I'm like, it's a convertible church. The um, <laughs> he goes, I go. They spent everything they had on the first one. And some of these people are living on like 60 bucks a month. They can't afford to put a second roof on their church. He goes, why don't we pay for it? These are, some kid whips off a sombrero. Now, these are Marin County kids. They're getting out wads like you've never seen. One girl goes, can I use American Express Platinum? The, um, and what happens is this. They take an offering. They buy all the wood. They buy all the materials. And the next morning, local villagers for volunteering and our kids are volunteering and our high school guys and girls and local villagers are putting a brand new roof on this church for the first time in six months since it got burned down, which didn't do that roof didn't do any good anyway, because by the end of the week, so many people were coming to the evening evangelistic meetings there. They're showing that everybody had to go outside anyway, because nobody could fit 
in this church. It was too small. And our teenagers are speaking, leading people to Christ, showing the Jesus movie on the wall of the church. Well, they get back to school and their friends are like, man, nice tan. Where'd you go? Vail, Aspen, Tahoe. And they're like, nope. Where'd you go? Mexico. Can't ski in Mexico. What'd you do? They're chasing them down as they go to class going, I built a church. I help poor people. I'm an answer to prayer. The, um, you know what's interesting is? When people, check it out, that list you got, when people, when a church of people believe in the resurrection, when they live to make great things happen, when they believe God uses ordinary people and their spiritual batteries recharge, our youth group exploded. The next year, 86 high school students sign up to go to Mexico. And the problem is this. Do you guys have a church van or bus? Nobody knows. The... Um, that's probably a good thing. Most church buses should say repaint, not repent. And, um, and so I had, we had no church van, no church bus, and I got to get 86 teenagers to Mexico. I get up in front of our church and I do this. Uh, hi, I'm Ray Johnston. I'm the youth pastor. We're taking 86 students to Mexico. We need to borrow your cars. That was their response. BMW, basic Marin wheels. We're not about to let that leave the town. Well, we, got, we had no response. Not one car donated except for one guy. And so that guy has what I call the gift of guilt. You know anybody like this? And the next week I said to Al Wade, Al, you got to make the announcement. Al destroyed our church with one great line. Matter of fact, we're in the wings. And he goes, watch this. Pack their bags. We're going on a guilt trip. He walks up in our Sunday morning service, looks at the church, says, did you hear the rumor about our church? The adults in our church are willing to send their kids, but not their cars, to Mexico. <laughs> we had 38 vehicles donated that Sunday morning to go down to Mexico. One guy, Tim Stanish, donated a four-door Mercedes-Benz, which I drove to protect. I felt responsible for the thing. And people, what I want to say is this, as long as I live, I will never, ever forget being in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, in a burnout building with 38 of the whitest, yuppiest, spoiled brat teenagers you've ever met in your entire life and watching God use them. And I discovered in Mexico this, no matter what your background is, no matter what last week was like, no matter where you've been, when you start believing God has wired you up, wants to use you, and you give your life to recharging your batteries, and you basically say, God, you got me, you got my stuff, you got my resource, you got my time, and I'm all in. Tell me what to do. When you do that and you basically say, I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life and I'm going to take whatever risks are necessary, you will wake up and discover you have just become the answer to somebody else's prayer. Why would you want to live any other way? All God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for having me here. I love this church. God bless y'all.